Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. Good morning, Three Creeks. My name is Joel, and I get to be the pastor here, and welcome, or welcome back. If you are here for the first time, we just want to say thanks for coming. We're really really glad that you carved out some time to be with us this morning, and uh, hope that you leave here in a little while feeling like you were glad that you came. We're in the, the middle of a series, I guess towards the beginning, really, week three, of a series that we're calling Ephesians, a church that's built on Christ, and we're just taking our time moving through the book of Ephesians one verse at a time, slowly and surely, we'll make it, we'll we'll make our way through. If you missed week one or two, give me 30 seconds to set the the framework for what we're going to talk about today. Paul, who was a missionary about 2,000 years ago, spent the first half of his life telling people not to follow Jesus, and spent the second half of his life telling people to follow Jesus. And he traveled all over the world for 30 or 40 years, planting churches in different cities. And one of the places that he was a part of a church plant, a church that was starting, was in a city called Ephesus. And the book of Ephesians is really not so much a book, but rather it's a letter. And it's a letter that Paul wrote a couple years after he left Ephesus. Paul was the pastor at this church for a couple years. It was near and dear to his heart. And a couple years later, when he was in prison, actually... He wrote a letter back to the church in Ephesus to tell him how he was feeling about uh, their friendship and their church. And so here we are. We're going to kind of get through the end of chapter 1 today, the last 11 verses or so, verses 15 through 23. And if you'll remember what I've shared the last two weeks, it's that this church was a young church, just a couple years old. And they were in an important city. And they were meeting in a school, actually. And they were facing a lot of social and cultural pressure to conform and be like everybody else. And they needed to mature spiritually. And all five of those attributes are true about us. We are a young church and we are in an important city and we are facing social pressure and we are meeting in a school. And we do need to grow up a little bit, both individually as as individual Christians, but also as a church collectively. That's why it's the perfect time for us to go through Ephesians. So turn in your Bibles if you got them to Ephesians chapter 1. It's on page 1148 in my Bible. And I have no idea what page it's on in yours. And speaking of Bibles, if you don't have one, I know there's some people in here that don't have one. We've got a stack of them. We bought them for you. And they're on a table out there. So on your way out today, grab one. That's our gift to you. And you can bring it back next week and and have one in your hands. And today we'll put the verses on the screen in case you don't have it. Uh, Verses 3 through 14, Paul launches an avalanche of praise for God. That's the first half of the first chapter of this letter that he wrote. And then what you're going to see today, verses 15 through 23, Paul shifts from praise to prayer. This this whole thing we're going to talk about today is is Paul telling, telling the Ephesians what he's praying for. And to begin, let me just ask you a question. And this isn't meant to be indicting or accusatory. I'm genuinely curious. And I think that you will find it helpful to answer this before we make it further into this passage. Here's the question. If I was able to read a transcript 
of your prayers over the last 30 days, what would I read the most about? If I was able to read everything that you have said to God out loud, in your head, just any communication between you and God, if I was able to read that, what would be the common themes? What would be the recurring requests or words or ideas? What have you gone to God for the most about recently? Other than asking him to bless your food and give you a good day. What else has come up that's been on your heart? I, uh, I try to do this every night. I don't do it every night, but I try to be home around seven o'clock when my kids go to bed. And I try to just check in with each of them before they go to bed. And when I check in with them, I like to pray with them. And I'm just going to be honest. There are times where I think, man, I, I should pray, but I'm not really sure what to pray right now. I kind of just want them to go to sleep. You know what I'm saying? And I, 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 I catch myself just, sometimes I've got a lot to pray for. There's something on my mind or something going on in their lives and it's easy, but sometimes it just doesn't come as easy, and I'm kind of grasping for, okay, Lord, thanks for this day. Thank you for Cooper. Sweet dreams, I guess, would be nice. In Jesus' name, amen. And I shut the door and say, don't you dare come out of there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so I'd kind of rush through it, and I'm not sure exactly what to pray. Sometimes it's easy, but sometimes it's not. And Paul here In Ephesians 1, he tells these Christians what he's praying for over and over. He says, I keep praying the same things over and over for you. And and if you'll notice as we go through this, he doesn't ask for material blessings like good health or a better job. He doesn't ask for relational blessings like a good marriage or children. He, and those aren't bad to pray for, but this one, this is a prayer for for deep spiritual blessings in knowing God. It's a prayer for deep spiritual blessings in knowing God. And it's one of those prayers, as, as we read it, I think you're going you're gonna to understand what I'm saying. It's one of those prayers that you don't want to have to follow. You know what I'm saying? You ever been in a prayer circle where someone's like, yeah, I'll open. And someone's like, and I'll close. And then, you know, anybody else that wants to pray between these two, they can go ahead and pray too. So you're sitting there, you're just standing there. You're like, I might give it a shot this time. And then somebody else prays and they start saying words you don't understand. They start quoting theologians. They're so wrapped up emotionally that they begin crying. Other people begin crying. And you're like, yeah, I'm gonna sit this one out. I'm just, I don't know if I'm gonna pray in this circle. That's like a praying juggernaut there. That's the kind of prayer that Paul prays here. It's theologically dense. It's packed to the gills with truth about God. And so what I want to do today, here's my plan. I want to comb through it slowly. And then I'm going to go back through and, and, and simplify it for people like me, maybe like you. And I want to give it to us as a church, as a prayer that we can pray when we go in to tuck our kids in at night, we can pray this simple prayer. When we think about our church, we can pray this prayer. When you want to pray with your spouse, maybe that's something that you've never done before. You don't even know where to start. I'll tell you where to start. You can pray this simple prayer that Paul, Paul gives it to us in uh, extensive theological form. And I want to try to break it down so that it can be something that you and I can take away and pray today for whatever we feel like praying about. 
Here we go. Verse 15, Ephesians 1, Paul writes, for this reason, remember he's talking about the first 14 verses were all this, this praise for God. So for this reason, because God is so good, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So Paul recaps it and goes, listen, because of how great God is, I, I've been praying for you for the last couple years. I have not forgotten about you. In this church, if you notice it, he, this church makes Paul thankful. There's other churches that kind of piss Paul off, like the Galatians and the Corinthians. Like they get a letter from Paul. They're like, I don't know if I want to read this today because he's frustrated with some of these other ones. But, but the Ephesians, Paul's thankful. He's excited to pray for them and remember them. And like I shared before, Paul was a part of planting all these churches and he would write these letters and he would send them. But then he also would receive news back. He's got like this first century Pony Express group of guys, Timothy and Tychicus and Epaphroditus and Osiphorus. All these guys are, they're taking these letters to the churches and then they're bringing news back. They're bringing letters back. And, and this church apparently makes Paul thankful. And what I want you to see in this first verse here, why Paul's so thankful, it's because they're growing up spiritually. Remember the first week of the series, I, I explained that spiritual maturity holds in tandem good theology and good works. And without one or the other, we become lopsided and immature. We all know somebody with good theology that doesn't live it out. And then somebody that just doing good works but doesn't know who Jesus is, that's not spiritual maturity either. And so Paul says, look at it, your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. Your good theology is growing. Your love, your, your good works, your love for the people is growing. And so for that reason, Paul says, I'm thankful. I haven't forgotten about you. You're believing in God's promises. You're loving God's people. And I've been thinking about you. And then Paul goes into detail about what he's been praying for. In verse 17, this is the whole prayer. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, look what it says, so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you would open the eyes of our hearts in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. In this prayer, I see three distinct, strong requests. And if you took some time to, to read through it, I think you'd come up with the same three. What I want to do is go through each one of them just for a couple minutes and highlight these three requests that Paul has in and I propose that we as a church would hear them, that we would write them down if you're writing things down, that you would memorize them and meditate on them and, and use this as the prayer that you can pray our, yourself. Verse 17 says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I keep asking. Paul says, I, I just keep going back to the Lord over and over and over. And I keep asking him 
that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Paul prays that the Ephesians first would know God. And at first to me, if, if I'm being honest, that seems pretty simple. Seems like a pretty basic prayer, not a new idea. But going back to that transcript I was asking you about, the transcript of your prayers for the last 30 days, how many times would I have read that you just wanted to know God better? And there's a reason that Paul prays this first, and the reason that Paul wants them to know God, it's that a deep knowledge of God and his character is what is going to allow us to stay in the game and put our faith in God for the rest of our lives. The mind, friends, the mind matters, and theology matters, and understanding the Bible matters. The Bible, in many ways, is a call to think, because the Christian faith is not based on a feeling, it's based on facts. Jesus is who he says he is. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus did. This is where Jesus is now. This is what Jesus has provided. So don't let anybody tell you that a trip into Christianity is a trip into some mindless feeling existence. The fact that there are some mindless Christians out there is another topic. But the Bible is a call to think and to put your hope in fact, not feeling. Feelings come and go, but the truth about Jesus has never changed and will never change. And knowing God, you guys, knowing God is what is going to allow us to stay in the game and stay strong in our faith until the end of our lives. And the opposite is true, that if we don't know God, and if we don't know his character, then we will be so likely to wander if a discouraging set of circumstances is in front of us. If a popular new idea comes our way, if, if the social pressure to conform becomes too heavy, if we don't know God and we don't know who he is, then it's likely that we might change our minds about how we're feeling. And so the Christian faith and being a Christian is not based on whether you feel close or you don't feel close to God. It's about knowing the truth that God is always there, whether you feel it or not, and he's real and he's good and he's kind and he is working things out for the people that love him. And so Paul prays that they would know him and that they would know who God is and what he's like. J.I. Packer puts it this way. He says, this is how important it is to know the character of God. He says, we are cruel to ourselves if we try and live in this world without knowing God who made it and runs it. He says, the world becomes a strange and mad and painful place and life in it a disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know God. Disregard the study of God, and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. And so Paul prays that the Ephesians, these young Christians, that they would know God, because Paul has an idea of what's coming. Remember, he's in jail when he writes this. He says, if you don't know God and believe in him with all your heart, it's going to be really hard to stand up underneath what's coming. And I th Three Creeks, I think we'd be wise to take note and say, a deep knowledge of God is going to be crucial to our ability to stay in the game and to live this thing all the way out. 
That's the first one. Here's the second one in verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, we just sang about it, may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So the, the word heart here, when it's used in the Bible, it's not talking about the organ that pumps blood through your limbs. It's talking about the core of your being. And so Paul prays here that the eyes of our heart would be open and enlightened. This is going to be a spiritual gift from God for this to happen. And Saul, Paul, well, I guess it's true. Saul Paul, he knows a little bit about being enlightened. He knows a little bit about sight. Because there was a time in his life, the turning point for him was when he was driving down the road, heading to Damascus to go and stop the movement of Jesus. And God meets him in a miraculous way, and he's blind because of that. And a couple days later, a, a Christian brother comes by and prays for Saul, and it's as those scales fall off of his eyes. It's the, it's the verses that we put up before I came up here. So Paul knows a little bit about the miraculous gift of sight, spiritual sight. That's what Paul's praying for. And what does he want them to see? He wants them to be able to see the hope to which he has called you. Paul prays that they would feel hope. When you and I use the word hope, we're usually talking about something that we would really like to happen. We hope the Bengals win. We hope that it snows a lot or it doesn't snow at all. I don't know where you're at on that, but we hope one way or the other. We hope that the price of eggs will go down. We hope that our kids will take long naps this afternoon. But that's not for sure. It's uncertain. They might stay up all afternoon and scream and cry and we'll get no rest on this wonderful Sabbath. The point is there, there are things that we really don't control and there are things that we would like to happen, but it's not certain at all. When the, when the Bible talks about hope, especially in the New Testament, this is the definition. Hope is an assurance of a reality not yet experienced. It's something that is certain. It's something that is coming. It's not something that they kind of wish for. Man, if we cross our fingers and pray enough, it might happen. It's something that they're sure is going to happen. And what God has determined to give you, what he's brought you into, and what he's preparing for you is settled forever. And Paul wants the Ephesians to know that, that their future doesn't hang in the balance based on how good they do. That heaven isn't, maybe they've got a chance. It's a certain reality for them. Paul wants them to know that because he knows that if we live with this hope in mind, with this certain hope in mind, that it really would change the way that we live our lives as we're getting there. If we fix our mind on this hope, on this certain hope, it would allow us in 2023 to overcome sin and temptation. If, if we remember, if God gives us the spiritual sight to see the certain hope that he has called us to. It helps us see today what is going to be important forever. As an example, if I see the value of God and his kingdom, will I need as much stuff as I naturally think that I need? The answer is no. I have all that I need. I've got a certain hope coming and that's what I'm living for. If I know that I'm cherished by the God of the universe, that he loves me, that he approves of me, 
Will I spend my whole life chasing the approval of everybody I interact with? No. The God of the universe loves me. And so you see that sin and temptation can be overcome by shifting my focus not to what's right in front of me, but to what's coming up for me. C.S. Lewis talks about it like this. He talks about this little kid that's playing in a mud puddle in his backyard, and he loves it. It's four feet wide, inch and a half deep, and he just stumps in it, and it sprays up, and he just can't get enough of this little mud puddle in the backyard. And the mom and dad come out, and they say, hey, guess what? We got to load it up. We're going, we're going somewhere, and the kid has a full meltdown. Full, just crying, can't even think straight, can't even talk straight. He just loves the puddle so much. Well, if the kid understood that his parents were trying to get him into the car to take him to the beach, which is the world's largest mud puddle, if the kid had the ability to see that and know that and see what else is coming, he probably wouldn't have thrown a fit about leaving the mud puddle. Isn't that true about us at times? Where we, we play in the mud puddle per se, we enjoy something that we're experiencing and we read in the Bible or we, we, we find out really that God wants us to do it differently and, and we throw these fits saying, I don't want to change. I don't want to give that up. I don't want to do it his way. Meanwhile, if you just knew what he was trying to lead you to, if you, if you had the, the spiritual sight to see the hope to which you're called, it, all of a sudden it allows you to, to not linger in a mud puddle knowing that there's a way, better way to live coming. Not just in heaven then, but today now, that God, what God wants for us is actually better than what we would choose for ourselves. Not only does having this spiritual sight to see the hope that we're called help us to overcome sin and temptation, but it also helps us to endure pain. And, and the older I get, the more painful things feel. Getting older is not for cowards. And, and I, I don't know about you, not looking forward to doing my taxes. I would describe that as somewhat of a painful experience for me. I just don't like doing it. But if you told me that at the end of me doing my taxes... I was going to get $100,000. All of a sudden, it does not become such a drag. And what, the only thing that changed is hope. I have certain hope that at the end of it, it's going to work out. And the pain that I'm enduring, Paul calls him, Paul went through a heck of a lot more than doing his taxes. And he, he went through more pain than any of us have ever experienced in life. What does he call him in the Bible? He calls him light and momentary affliction compared to the glory that's coming his way. You can endure pain when you know the hope to which you're called. And that's what Paul's praying for the Ephesians. There's a little tagline underneath that one, underneath the hope that you're called. I think it's up here. Mike, can you go to the next slide? Uh, yeah, right there. The second half of verse 18, it says, The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Paul's still talking about this hope that we're called, this certainty of heaven. And when I read that at first, it was just a quick pass through. The riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. And at first glance, I thought, yeah, when I'm in heaven, I'm sure that I'll feel rich and that is my inheritance. But if you look at it slow enough, this isn't talking about an inheritance that we get. 
it says that it's his glorious inheritance, God's. And what is God's glorious inheritance? It's his holy people. And I know this might be surprising to you, but that's us. Paul is praying that we would understand how precious we are to God. And by the way, that says a lot more about God than it does about us. That he would look at us and say, that is who I love. The best part about heaven for us is going to be being with God. And the best part about heaven for God is that he's going to be with us. And that says a lot more about God than it does about us. Remember that God's plan in sending Jesus Christ to the world to die for our sins was to get us. And I talked to a lot of Christians. They almost hope that they sneak in the back door of heaven and they aren't noticed. And I got news that that's not the, that's not the entrance that God wants for you to have there. By, by the grace of God and only by the grace of God, we are who God's looking forward to being with forever. It, it's like, I mean, it says in the Bible that he's preparing a place for us. Meaning that when we get there, it's not like God's going to be surprised. There's a room for us and a bed that's made for us and food in the oven and the music's on. It's like he's welcoming us home to where we really belong. And I just think it's amazing that God would look at us and say, I cherish that. And that says a lot more about God than it does about us. And then here's the third one that Paul prays. This is in verse 19. He prays that they would know his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, when I, if you ever thought about the power of God, I don't know about you, but for me, when I think about the power of God, my mind immediately goes to creation. I think about the beach. I think about mountains, sunsets, animals. And if I'm going to be honest, specifically birds. I'm a big bird guy. I'm okay coming out and saying that in my older age. It's like, it's who I am. I'm an ornithologist at heart. I love birds. And there's one bird that kind of blows my mind, maybe more than all the other ones. It's the woodpecker. You guys ever heard about a woodpecker? A woodpecker has a spring in its neck. It's like a little shock absorber that a, a woodpecker can peck a tree 20 times every second. And then catch this, a woodpecker's tongue is six inches long. And that might not seem very long until you hear that a woodpecker is only six inches tall. So that'd be like me having a six-foot tongue. And that tongue goes in its mouth and wraps around and acts as a double shock absorber. And as soon as the hole's deep enough through the pecking, the six-inch tongue can go in there. It has a little barb on the end, and it can grab the grub or the worm, yank it out, and there's lunch. And I just think that's amazing. And when I think about that kind of stuff, when I hear amazing attributes of animals, I'm serious. I just think, what power? What creativity? What power? I could never come up with something like that. Neither could you. What power? Or I think about the other one in second place. I think about space. I think about galaxies. I think about planets. If you and I got in a spaceship on the same day that Jesus went to heaven, 32 AD, we took off 
and we drove 80 miles an hour, since then, we would not be to the edge of our solar system. And there are billions of galaxies out there in addition to ours. I just think, what power? But what's interesting to me is that that isn't the comparison that Paul makes when he wants to describe this power. Look where he goes. In verse 20, it says, That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and appointed Jesus to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Resurrection power is the greatest possible power imaginable. Because creation power, God creates something good from nothing. But with resurrection power, he creates something good from something bad. He has this supernatural ability to redeem what is bad and make it good. And that is good news for me. Joel Trainer, the sinner, born that way. That was good news for me, that he could take what was bad and he could redeem it and make it good. And, and Paul prays that we, I guess technically he's praying that the Ephesians, and I'm taking it and going, man, we can pray to experience that kind of power in our lives, that God can take us, the broken ones, the addicted ones, the hurting ones, the lonely ones, the selfish ones. Insert your besetting sin. He can take that and he can make that redeemable and good in his sight and call that to heaven. I just, I just wrote, I just feel like so many of us in this room, maybe all of us, struggling with something, struggling handling, managing destructive emotions, struggling with an addiction to something, to Netflix or to our phones or to success or to attention or to alcohol, addicted to something. And we've wanted to change it for years, but it just feels like we can't break free from that. So many of us in here feeling like we're we're never going to be made whole again because of the way that somebody hurt us. Somebody in here feeling like recently it has been revealed to you again. How selfish you think. Like your marriage, that revealed it, and then you had kids. And that was like, oh, now it really reveals how selfish I am. And we look at ourselves, and if we're in our most honest moments, and we go, how could anybody make this good? And what Paul wants them to know, they're experiencing the same things. This isn't new. Paul wants them to know that by the power of God, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, all of those things can change if you've begun to believe the lie that you could never change, that you could never be holy, that you could never be whole, that you could never think differently. That's a lie. Paul's saying that by the power of God, 
by the transforming resurrection power of God, he can take a bad thing and change it and make it a good thing. And so, so Paul just lays it out there and he says, I want them to experience power. He says, I want them to know God. I want them to feel hope and I want them to experience power. That's his prayer for this young church. And that's my prayer for us. I've been praying this all week for us. I'm going to keep praying this all, for us. And I, I want to give it to you as this simple prayer. It's a simple prayer that we can all pray. Mike, will you throw that slide up there? It's as simple as God. Open the eyes of our hearts so that we can know God, that we can feel hope, that we can experience power. Amen. And if you ever find yourself in a situation where you just don't know what to pray, that is a simple prayer that we can all pray. And if you've been in church for 50 years or you've been in church for 50 minutes, that's a prayer that we can all pray. So what I want to do is I want to pray that over you, and then we're going to give you a minute or two to pray that for yourself over somebody you love, over a situation in your life. And as always here at Three Creeks, we'll have a prayer team in the back. And if you'd like to pray with somebody about anything going on in your life, we would be honored to get to pray with you. So would you bow your heads and let me just pray for you. God, open the eyes of our hearts. We want to know you. We don't know what's coming, Lord, but we want to know you. We think that could be the difference. God, we want to feel hope. We want to believe that your way is better. We can't believe that you love us so much. And God, we want to experience power. We want to experience resurrection power, life-changing power. Jesus' name. Amen. Take a minute and pray that for yourself, and then we'll sing together. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com.